Good morning, RCC. It's so good to be with you all, um, especially to see some old dear friends and to meet new friends. An honor um, to speak with you this morning. Um, in the church calendar, we are in Eastertide, and that's the period after Jesus died and was resurrected before he ascended to heaven. And during those 40 days, Jesus made some surprise appearances to his disciples and to others. But the Holy Spirit had not yet come in the Pentecost. It was a time of transition, it was a time of waiting and uncertainty. I know your church is in a time of transition too. Transitions are difficult, especially when they're unexpected. Um, Things that you depended on for stability may no longer be there, and we may be more vulnerable to fear and to doubt. That's natural. In the summer of 2019, my family moved from Atlanta to Wheaton um, for my husband's job. I was born and raised in Atlanta. My mom, my sister, my whole extended family was there. I'm very close to them. So this was kind of a huge move for us. Um, We didn't know anybody in the Midwest. I'd also just graduated from seminary and was looking to start a new career in ministry. Well, fast forward six months, early 2020, you know what happened? COVID, everything shut down. Um, And... That summer of 2020, when my husband um, went away for a work, like vision retreat, um, I couldn't stay here any longer. (laughs) I decided I had to pack up my minivan and my three kids and drive the 14 hours to Atlanta to see my family. I was so homesick, right? And it was still during that time um, when the restaurants were closed, you could go through the drive-through in some places. Um, And my concern was, will there be restrooms open along the way? Because you know when a kid says, mommy, I gotta go, it's all of a sudden an emergency. Um, And I have three girls, so you know, that's, you just don't know. Um, So, Uh, But I was determined. I was determined to see my family in the flesh. Um, Phone calls and Zoom calls just weren't doing it anymore. Now, I don't know for sure why Jesus didn't just ascend to heaven right after he was resurrected. But my guess is that disciples and others needed to see him embodied with their own eyes in his resurrected body. Jesus even allowed Thomas to feel his wounds. Remember, all of them, except maybe John, had deserted Jesus when he was arrested and crucified. So I bet they were filled with feelings of shame that they had abandoned their Lord and Savior in his time of need. And without their leader, they probably felt afraid, um, maybe doubtful, not knowing what would happen next. So maybe... They just needed to be with Jesus after the trauma of his horrific death. This morning, we'll study John 21, when Jesus shows up for the disciples after his resurrection in such a beautiful, powerful, and personal way. The three points in my message today are that Jesus comes to us 
graciously, cares for us abundantly, and calls us personally. First, Jesus comes full of grace. If you have your Bibles or your phones, turn with me now as I read John 21, verses 1 to 7. John 21, and we'll just read the first seven verses. And this is an IV. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. That's seven of the remaining 11 disciples. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. If you've ever gone fishing and don't catch anything, the first hour is still kind of fun. By the second hour, you'd be thrilled if you caught like one tiny little fish. But by the third hour, if you still haven't caught anything, you are really disappointed and you're ready to throw in the towel. Now, these disciples fish all night and catch exactly zero fish. So it's like you've pulled an all-nighter for work or school and have nothing to show for it. Or you've had a falling out with a friend. You've done everything in your power to repair things, but still she won't talk to you. It's in that place of despair that Jesus shows up. He's drawn to the broken places in our lives. He's drawn to the brokenhearted. The disciples weren't expecting Jesus to show up in that place. So when he appears in verse 4, they don't recognize him. How many times is Jesus right there with us and we don't know it's him? Jesus even has a conversation with them. Hey, guys, did you catch anything? Jesus knows the answer, but I think he wants them to name that they came up empty-handed. Still, the disciples don't know it's him. Remember when Jesus first called the disciples? It was also at the Sea of Galilee. It was also in the morning after a long, hard night of fishing, and they hadn't caught anything. Jesus had told Peter to let down his nets. Peter probably had to swallow his pride to listen to a preacher carpenter man tell him, a professional fisherman, how to fish. But he obliged, and they caught so many fish that the nets couldn't hold them. Jesus beckoned them then, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Here, Jesus says to the disciples, cast your nets on the right side of the boat, 
It's kind of a strange instruction. I'm not sure why it's the right side of the boat. But the disciples did so and were unable to haul in the net because of the sheer magnitude of the fish. Jesus, I mean, John is the first to realize it is the Lord. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus reveals himself to the disciples in the same way again? It's a deja vu, divinely orchestrated, grace-filled, life-altering moment. Without words, Jesus is powerfully demonstrating to these disciples that his calling for them has not changed. They are still to be fishers of people. Their failure was not going to be the end of the story. Jesus paid the price for all their sin and failure on the cross. All of it, 100% for the disciples and for us. So even though we may fall away, his grace upon grace overflows from the cross to us. His divine purposes for our lives remain unchanged. Verse 11 says, The disciples caught 153 fish, to be exact. I don't know who counted them all, but according to ancient zoology, there were 153 kinds of fish, known fish, um, varieties of known fish, I should say, in the world. So 153 could symbolize the fact that one day peoples of all nations would be gathered together in Christ. The ministry these apostles would go on to lead would yield abundance not through their own ability, but by God's power, so they would know that it is indeed the Lord. Now that Peter knows it's Jesus on the shore, he has a choice. Does he allow his shame to paralyze him, or does he go to Jesus? Rewind a little to the Last Supper. When Jesus told the disciples that they would all fall away, Peter insisted that even if everyone else did, he wouldn't. Jesus said, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter confidently declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. But that night, Jesus was arrested, and three times people recognized Peter as one of his followers. But Peter adamantly denied even knowing Jesus. And just as he denied him the third time, the rooster crowed. Jesus then turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter, remembering Jesus' prediction, wept bitterly. Peter was wrecked by shame. And he could have allowed this moment to define him. But here, verse 7 says, As soon as Simon Peter heard John say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. I love it. Peter doesn't hesitate. He's so excited he can't think straight. He throws on his clothes, which I think is kind of funny, um, and throws himself into the water. Peter doesn't let shame hold him back from going to Jesus. Scripture says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus didn't just bear your sin on the cross. He also bore your shame. You don't have to hide anymore. 
like Adam and Eve did in the garden after they ate the apple. By the power of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I want to tell you about a story of a little girl named Katie who was left in a vegetable market in China when she was just a few days old. Um, Her parents were poor and already had a child, so they couldn't afford to keep her. So due to the one-child policy, um, they had to give her up, but they left a note with her. It said, in 10 or 20 years' time, please meet us at Reunion Bridge on July 7th. Reunion Bridge is the setting of a forbidden love story. A god and a mortal who had fallen in love could not meet but one day of the year on July 7th. Katie ends up being adopted by a family in Michigan. Um, and the, the family, the adoptive parents, remember the note. So 10 years later, they send a messenger to Reunion Bridge. Katie's par- birth parents are there. But the messenger and the birth parents miss each other. Every year since then, Katie's biological parents go to the bridge and wait all day, year after year, but no one comes. A film company makes a documentary about their story and locates Katie's family in Michigan and sends them a copy. At 23 years old, Katie watches the documentary for the first time and finds out that her birth family has not stopped searching for her. She makes arrangements to go meet her birth family, you guessed it, on Reunion Bridge. And when the moment finally comes and her birth mother spots Katie coming up the other side of the bridge with the film crew, um, she drops everything and just runs to Katie, tears streaming down her face. And they meet Katie and her birth mother after all those years and embrace. This is not the end of the story. Not for Katie and her family, not for the disciples, not for you and me, because no matter what has happened in the past, the resurrection brings hope and a new beginning. First, Jesus comes to you full of grace. Second, Jesus cares for you abundantly. Not only has he saved you from your sin and shame, he wants to be close to you to enjoy fellowship with you. Now I'll pick up at verses 8 to 14. Follow along as I read verses 8 to 14. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish in it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I'm convinced that whoever wrote the Five Languages of Love book missed one. The sixth universal language of love is food. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right, and here Jesus is showing his love for his disciples by making them breakfast. According to verse 9, Jesus had already put fish and bread on the fire before they came to shore. It takes a while to get a fire going, so Jesus had to prepare for this. I love this little detail because it reminds me of the way my mom loves me. When I would come home from college, there would already be food prepared for me on the table. And I was so homesick for Chinese food. Even now, before we go back to Atlanta to visit, my mom will ask me about a week or two in advance what my kids want to eat. She'll have the menu planned for each day and the fridge stocked with all of our favorite foods. This may not be true in every culture, but for those of you who have Asian moms, you know that food helps solve every problem. If you've had a tough day, come and eat. If you've just had your heart broken, come and eat. If you're preparing for a big test, come and eat more. Um, And if you and your mom have had a fight and she cooks your favorite food, it means she's sorry, or that you're forgiven, right? She won't say those words. What she'll say is, come and eat. How Jesus' words, come, have breakfast, must have sounded to these physically weary, soul-heavy disciples. Jesus is demonstrating in this beautiful, nonverbal, Asian mom kind of way that even though you deserted me, I not only forgive you, I want to be in close communion with you again. Jesus wants to enjoy intimate fellowship with you. He knows all the mistakes you've made. He knows all your weaknesses. And yet, he still wants to eat with you. During Jesus' life on earth, his dining habits were scandalous because he chose to eat with tax collectors, sex workers, lepers, Jesus' table was wide open and all-inclusive. Revelations 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Tim Keller said, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, that's a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. That's the kind of abundant, true love Jesus pours out on us. Jesus invites us to come as we are, hungry, tired, weak, fearful, doubtful, you name it. Just come and eat, because this is not the end of the story. The resurrection restores our fellowship with Jesus. Jesus comes to you full of grace and cares about you abundantly. And lastly, Jesus calls you personally. Verses 15 to 17 read, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus now addresses Peter directly and personally. We know Jesus is serious because he uses Peter's formal name, Simon, Simon of John. It's like when your mom or dad call you by your full name. You know that they mean business. Scholars aren't sure what Jesus means when he asks, do you love me more than these? Perhaps he was pointing to the fish. Jesus needs to leave his livelihood and reasonable comfort of a fisherman to follow Jesus. Fishing is what Peter knew. Sometimes we need to give up our comfort and our security in order to follow Jesus. Or is Jesus saying, do you love me more than these fellow disciples do? Peter had claimed at the Last Supper that he loved Jesus more than the others, that even though the others may desert Jesus, he never would. So Jesus could be returning to this claim, reminding Peter that though he thought he could be faithful, his courage had failed him. Jesus takes Peter back to the place of wounding in order to heal him. Three times Peter had denied Jesus, so Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter was grieved when Jesus asked him the third time because he understood the significance. It was a plain reminder of his denial. Jesus, of course, already knew Peter's heart. He knew that Peter loved him. But he asked these three questions for Peter's sake. And he does so in the presence of his disciples to restore him. William Barley said, Jesus, in his gracious forgiveness, gave Peter the chance to wipe out the memory of the threefold denial by a threefold declaration of love. In his book on Lent, Esau Macaulay writes, Jesus is both mighty to save and gentle enough to restore us without breaking us. Jesus is both mighty to save and gentle enough to restore us without breaking us. Then Jesus recommissions Peter, who will be the rock on which he will build the early church. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus calls each of us not only to go and make disciples, not only to catch fish, but to tend and care for them. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, they will know that you are my disciples. John 13, 34. Now that I have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. John 13, 14. Just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. John 20, 21. RCC, I think you are this kind of community, devoted to serving and loving one another, enjoying eating together, and extending the table to make room for more. John 21 is the last chapter of the gospel, so when you turn the page in your Bibles, you are in the book of Acts. 
And I don't know if we would see the Peter that we meet in Acts without John 21. In Acts, Peter is completely transformed and filled with faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's no longer overly confident in his own abilities. He's confident in God's abilities. He's no longer operating out of his own strength, but out of the strength of the Holy Spirit. And after the Holy Spirit arrives at the Pentecost, Peter preaches, and thousands of people come to faith right then and there. And it's just the beginning. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and me. Jesus told the disciples, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Believe in Jesus and his words, and you will do even greater things. You have the power of the resurrection inside you. Transitions are a time when you finish one chapter, but you may not have started the next. And when feelings of fear and doubt and shame arise, and they will, as God's beloved community, let's remind each other of how far you've come from those house church days, right? And who God has made you to be in Christ. John 21 is not just for Peter. It's for you, Remember, Jesus comes to you graciously, cares for you abundantly, and calls you personally. The story that God is writing in your life individually and collectively is beautiful. And you know the end of the story. The resurrection brings victory now and forevermore. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much um, for this gathering of your beloved community. You have been their good shepherd from the very beginning days, and you will continue to be their good shepherd through every up and down, through every mountain and valley. And I just pray right now that you would level the path before them, that you would go before them into this next chapter. Lord, I thank you for the reminder from your scripture today um, that you show up for us in our times of need, in our times of uncertainty. You are right here with us, um, and you are faithful. You are good, and you will fulfill all your promises. It is guaranteed uh, by the resurrection you have secured all these promises for us in Christ. And we thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.